Psalm 3. Let's read this psalm together. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Well, as we turn in God's word to Psalm 3, if it's your first Sunday with us or you're joining us as a visitor, we're in the middle of a summer series through the Psalms. We're looking at different Psalms that, as we know in the Psalms, we see the great variety there of the Christian life and of walking with God through all kinds of different circumstances. And as we come to Psalm 3, I want to speak this morning on how to get a better night's sleep. Now, as I say those words, perhaps uh, your reason for a chuckle was perhaps what my children or my family said to me when I said that was what I was going to speak on on Sunday morning. Dad, uh, you're a preacher. You're a pastor. Why are you straying into the realms of a a medical doctor or perhaps of of a sleep specialist? And of course, there are physical or sometimes age-related reasons why sleep can be hard. And doctors are there to help us and to advise about those. And there are some things in common grace wisdom that we can learn from sleep specialists. And I've read a few of those books myself. But there are also spiritual causes of sleeplessness. And that's what I'm going to think about today. And I wanted to think about that because that's what David says there in verse 5 and 6 in the middle of the psalm. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear. Tens of thousands, though tens of thousands, assail me on every side. Now, when David wrote Psalm 3, he had many reasons not to sleep. Not every psalm has a title that gives us a setting, but but Psalm 3 does. And if you look in your Bibles, before we start in verse 1, probably in italics, you will see a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So that's the setting, the historical context that David was in when he wrote this psalm. And you can read more about it in 2 Samuel 15. But in summary, the context in which David finds himself is that for many years, David has been king in Jerusalem and he has been established and settled there as God's anointed king. But then Absalom, his son, starts to plot against him. Absalom builds an army and then begins to maneuver to turn the hearts of the people of Israel against King David. And then he makes his move against David. And he makes his move against Jerusalem. 
the news comes to David, and when he hears about it, well, it's too late for David to do anything. He knows that the momentum has turned in Absalom's favor. And so all David can do in this situation is to gather his things, as much as he can gather, his family and those who can come with him, and to flee from Jerusalem, to abandon his throne. Now remember, David is doing this as the warrior king of Israel, the king who has won many great battles and victories, beginning with Goliath and many many others afterwards. But here David is fleeing for his own life. It's the first thing that's going on here. But, and that's frightening, but there's something else which makes this worse. And it's the emotional pain of what David will be going through. Because this isn't some distant opponent who is forcing David to flee from Jerusalem. Who is it? It is Absalom, his own son. Just think about that. His own flesh and blood has become his arch enemy. And now this is his son, who is threatening David's family, his home, his future, his security, his life itself. So it's painful because of the danger David is under physically. It's painful because emotionally this is his own son. But then there's something else that makes this context that David finds himself in as he writes this psalm even harder. And it's what the people say to him, what his foes say about him as he comes into the situation. Look down at verse 1 as we look at them together. He says, he explains what he's going through. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? There are three many's. He has many foes. He has many rising up against him. And then he has many saying of him, God will not deliver him. Did you catch that in the third many? There was the physical threat, there was the emotional pain of his own son, but then there's the words of those who are opposed to him. And they are saying the very worst possible thing has happened. Which is not that David has lost his home, nor is it that David has lost his throne. It is the possibility that God has abandoned David. Look what they say. God will not deliver him. And if that is true, then the actions of David's enemies against him will be decisive, won't they? Because God will not come to his aid. He will be helpless and he'll be hopeless. And so as we bring those three levels of difficulty together, the physical danger of the threat, the emotional sadness of Absalom's betrayal, and the sharp words of his opponents we see just how serious this situation is. Isn't it striking? This is Psalm 3. After Psalm 1 that sets that context of the life walking in obedience to God's law, and Psalm 2 that sets the context of God's king enthroned on Jerusalem, and then we find Psalm 3, this third psalm, have this context of the greatest struggle and the greatest challenge. And so I think we could all agree that David has many reasons to struggle to sleep, which makes his statement in verse 5 and 6 truly remarkable. He lies down and he sleeps. He will not fear. 
I wonder, can I ask you this morning, what kinds of things make it hard for you to sleep? Not thinking about the physical things, not thinking about elements that come with age, I understand those are there. I'm thinking about the spiritual elements of sleeplessness. Maybe it's worries about things that you have said. The fear that those words might be taken the wrong way by people and so you churn over those conversations in your head and think, could it have been taken like that or that or that? Perhaps it's concerns about your finances. Everything's going up, isn't it? The mortgage payment, the energy bill, the food bill each week. Or maybe it's burdens you carry for your family or your children. You wonder if they're going in the right direction. Or you particularly are burdened for those who are far from the Lord. Or maybe it's things at work. Maybe it's policies you can see that are on the horizon that are going to make it very hard for you to be a Christian in that workplace. And you fear for your job in that sense. Or perhaps it's the responsibilities. Or perhaps it's decisions that weigh heavily on you that you need to make in the workplace. Now those fears might be real. And we shouldn't deny them. But that's how we started by looking at David's situation. David had many reasons for sleeplessness. And maybe you do too. But God, through David, shows us here how we can sleep. Even with those kinds of burdens. So let's learn from the Lord how we can sleep better. And we'll see four things that David does. There are eight verses in the psalm. We find in each of the two sets of verses one thing. And the first thing is this in verses one and two. Bring your troubles to the Lord. Bring your troubles to the Lord. We have already looked at how David describes this situation with the many foes who are rising up and saying many things. But notice to whom David is speaking in verse one. What does he say? He says, Lord, how many are my foes? David is praying to God about his struggles. And he speaks freely to his God about what is weighing on his heart. You know, sometimes people say that a problem shared is a problem halved, don't they? But as we bring our struggles to the Lord, we don't just halve the problem, we bring it to him. And he carries it for us as we give it over to him. We ask him to take our burdens and that means we do not need to carry them as we sleep. Now, sometimes people wonder if it's, if it's appropriate that we should be speaking to God as David does in verse 1 and 2. Isn't he grumbling about his situation? Well, it would be sinful to bring our situation to grumble to the Lord about his dealings in our lives. But David doesn't do that, does he? He's not grumbling to God about what God is doing. He is lifting his circumstances to the Lord and he is lamenting, which is a biblical thing, about all that is hard. He is showing to God his sadness about what is happening, and he is seeking God's help. And that's the right thing to do. Now, what do people do in our world when they face struggles? Well, it seems to me there are two general responses. We can either deny them or we can vent them. Some will make light of really big things. And that's wrong, isn't it? Because we are not to deny their seriousness because they're big. 
Others, well, they might vent, they might only focus on their circumstances and speak about them to anyone and everyone. And of course, if there is no God, then all people can do is either deny or vent. But verse 1 tells us that we have a different path as a believer. What can we do? We can bring our burdens to God. What a privilege we have that our God does not sleep or slumber. You don't need to wake him up to talk to him about your burdens. He is always there and awake. And when we seek his help and bring them to him, we don't find he's only free in a few weeks' time because he's always available, he is always listening, and he is always caring for his people. And the first thing that David does that we learn from David is we can bring our troubles to the Lord. But then having brought our troubles to God and poured our heart out, heart out before God in those burdens, there is something else. We bring our troubles to God firstly, then secondly, in verses three and four, we turn our eyes upon the Lord. Having shared what troubles him, David doesn't dwell on that. I am sure, knowing all that we know about David's situation, he could have written a lot more than verse 1 and 2, couldn't he? He could have written pages and pages of all that was going on. But he doesn't. He says, verse 3, but you, Lord. He moves from himself and his circumstance to fill his mind to turn his eyes upon the Lord. And that is how he expresses his trust in God. He looks to his God, and as he does that, and as he thinks about his God, he sees four things about God as he turns his eyes upon the Lord. Look with me in verse 3 as we see the first one. He sees that God is my protector. God is your shield surrounding David. He is around David. Now, David is a military man, isn't he? And he knows how shields work. And the way shields work is that they offer you protection in one direction only, don't they? So you can block the blows of a sword from the front. You can block the arrows raining down from you from above. But God offers a kind of protection that no shield can offer. Because God is a shield around David. This is a 360 degree protection. And David says, Lord God, you are my shields. You cover me from all sides, guarding me from danger. You are my protector. But then also notice he says, Lord, you are my glory. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. You know, as king, David had great glory. But in his quick departure, he left almost all of that behind. But he knows that even if he loses everything, even if he loses the throne, he still has something. He still has someone who is more valuable to him than the crown and all that came with it. Because he has his God, who is his glory. You know, sometimes we can believe the world that tells us that the physical blessings, and they are blessings, that those blessings are the most important things. And if that is true, then if those things are taken away, then everything is truly lost. But that's not true for the Christian because we have God as our glory. 
We have God as our all in all, and so we are never at loss if we have him. God is our glory. But then also notice, God is not just to David, his protector, his glory. He is also his deliverer. He speaks of the Lord as the one who lifts my head high. If you go back to 2 Samuel 15, you'll find that as David went through the Kidron Valley out of Jerusalem, his head was covered, which means his head was down low. It was bowed because he was mourning over all that has happened to him in losing his throne and what's happened there in Jerusalem. But God trusts, David trusts in God as his deliverer. There may also be an echo here of a story we know, we know well, which is of Joseph there in the prison because when Pharaoh the king rescues the cupbearer from prison, how is it described that, that his head was to be lifted up? So it's got this idea of deliverance because David knows that God will not abandon him. So he knows that God is his protector, his glory, his deliverer. And then fourthly, verse four, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. He knows that God is his close helper. He knows the Lord isn't detached from him. He's not far off and distant. He hears because he is with his people. So what David does here is that having brought his situation to the Lord, he then changes his field of vision, not denying the seriousness of what he is facing, but filling his vision with the Lord. And as he does that, he reminds himself that even though his situation is fearful, even though he faces that physical danger, that emotional pressure of his own son turning against him, and those sharp words of his opponents, having filled his vision with God, he has hope. And he reminds himself that even though all that is going on, the mocking words of his enemies are not true. God has not abandoned him. God is with him. Friends, isn't it true that, that Satan loves to utter lies just like the lies of David's enemies? He loves to tell us that God has abandoned us, that God is not with us, that God does not care for us. And what do we need to do? We need to respond to those lies with God's truth, filling our eyes with the Lord. But then we need to do something else that David does. We bring our troubles to God. We turn our eyes upon the Lord. And then thirdly, we see, speak truth to your heart. Verses five and six. Because that is what David does. He takes these truths about God and he uses them to counsel his own heart. Friends, we often think of a spiritual battle that goes on in our world, but there is a spiritual battle that goes on within our hearts, isn't there? That when circumstances arise that cause us to doubt God, and when Satan speaks those words that cause us to doubt God, we need to help our hearts by speaking truth to ourselves. And that's what David does. And so, verse 5, he can say, I lie down and sleep, I wake again, because the Lord 
sustains me. Just think of how vulnerable David is as he says these words to God. He's sleeping outside. He's on the run. He doesn't have locked doors. He doesn't have high walls to protect him. He and his family feel very vulnerable. We've just finished three weeks of camping, and I'm often reminded in camping of just how vulnerable you are. There are no locks on the tent, are there? Someone took a knife to the side of the tent, they would get in very easily. I sleep with earplugs. Would I hear them? I remember waking up one evening, and I don't know what time it was, I, I heard someone outside, I thought, I got up, I walked around the tent with my, with my torch, and I wanted to make sure everything was safe, because I felt the vulnerability of being outside. And this is how David and his family are. They are they're vulnerable. Absalom's men could come in the night, and they'd be overwhelmed. But yet he sleeps, and he wakes, because he speaks truth to his heart. And notice verse 6, that he chooses not to fear. He says, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. This is an escalation, I think, of perhaps the situation in verse 1 and 2. You could say tens of thousands, well, they're greater than the many, aren't they? And the threat is now coming upon David, not just from one side, but from all sides. He is surrounded and without means of escape. But he says, I will trust you. I will not fear, Lord. David does not take the troubles of tomorrow and turn them into the worries of today. Instead, he knows that new mercies will come in the morning. And so as he thinks about the troubles that he might face... He knows and trusts that he will have fresh strength from the mercy of God when those trials come and he faces them. Too often we look at the future and we wonder, what if? We think, what if my troubles grow? Well, what we need to remember is that as our troubles grow, God's mercy grows greater and it is new every morning. Now, of all these steps that David goes through, this is the hardest, isn't it? It is the hardest. We can bring our troubles to the Lord. We can fill our vision with God. But having done that, we need to make that active choice to trust God. We need to counsel our hearts to do that based upon the promises of God in his word. This week I came across the story of Pat and Andrew Cardi, who in 1981 faced one of the most horrible situations that any parent could face. Their nine-year-old daughter, Jennifer, had cycled to a friend's house one day, but she didn't come home. They couldn't find her for a week, but when they did, they found that she'd been murdered. Now, you can't imagine what that must have been like to go through as parents for that week waiting for the news, and then hearing what has happened to your precious daughter. Now, a few days into that week of waiting, before they got the news, Pat's doctor dropped off some sleeping tablets for her, because who wouldn't find sleep difficult in her situation? Pat tells a story that as she went to bed, she considered taking them, and it wouldn't have been wrong to have done that. But before she did... 
She went through the steps that David goes through in this psalm. She brought her situation to the Lord. She turned her eyes upon God and she counseled her heart with God's truth. In her case, the words of Psalm 127 verse 2 came to mind. In vain you rise up early or stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And as she thought of Psalm 127 verse 2, and all it meant and told her about God's love and care for her, she closed her eyes and slept peacefully that night and every night afterwards. Now that didn't bring her daughter back. It didn't aim the pain that she went through. But God gave her rest. Now I know this can be a real struggle. Perhaps this is one of the great struggles of the Christian life that you carry. But we need to follow the counsel here in God's word. Maybe like me, you need to change your evening routine. Such that the last thing you do when you go to sleep is you read a psalm like Psalm 3 and you go through what David does here. Or maybe if as you wake in the night, you need to get up, you need to read your Bible, sit down, read your Bible, read passages like Psalm 3 and be very specific with your own hearts about why you don't need to fear and about why you can sleep. Perhaps even write down your struggle and connect the character of God to what is going on. Now sometimes in the kindness of God, we find that sleep comes quickly, as it did for Pat. Other times it can take days, weeks, sometimes years. But friends, this is what it means to live the Christian life in the valleys. This is what it means to trust God when it's hard. And we need to follow the thread of this psalm. I don't know about you, but I often find myself stopping in verse 2. I speak about my struggles to the Lord, but we need to follow the thread through the psalm. We need to remember God's character. We need to trust him for his fatherly care. And we need to speak truth to our hearts. Then there's one final thing we do which is we trust in God's great deliverance. Verses seven and eight, trust in God's great deliverance. Because in those verses, the the psalm ends with David asking the Lord to rescue him and to deal with his enemies. And he asked God to do that in a very specific way. Now notice how his appeal to God matches the hardest part of the challenge that he faces. Because what was most painful were the words of his enemies. And what does God ask David to do? He asks them to strike those mouth, their mouths of those who speak those horrible words to him. Now, now David is seeking a physical response from the Lord because he is praying here as God's Messiah King. His enemies need to be dealt with physically because of who David is. And we can learn a lot by following the thread through this psalm that David follows. But there is a sense in which David is in a special situation. He can speak with confidence about physical deliverance in his life there and then because he can look to the covenant God has made with him, 
which, in which God's protection of David as king has been promised there earlier in 2 Samuel. And our situation is a bit different as believers in there as New Testament believers, because as we read on in the New Testament, we find that the protection from physical dangers is not promised for God's people. We think about perhaps Acts chapter 12, where we see God's people, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing both death and rescue. So one disciple, James, the brother of John, is put to death by Herod. And then Peter, another follower of Jesus, is rescued from prison by an angel. Christians are not promised rescue from troubles in all of life. And so death and suffering and family breakdown and job losses and financial ruin are sometimes the experience of the people of God. But friends, that doesn't mean that God's promise has failed. Because God's deliverance is bigger and better than anything in this physical world. And we need to to see that. We need to understand two things here. As we trust in God's great deliverance, we understand firstly that this psalm is not just about King David's experience. It's about the experience of a greater king. Spurgeon reminds us that, that David was a type, he was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as David went through this journey in the psalm, Jesus did as well. He fled he passed through the brook Kedron when his own people were in a rebellion against him. He had round him just a feeble band of followers as he went into the garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus' rejection and suffering was even worse than what David experienced because he went through death itself. But when he did die, he rose from the dead. God rescued him from death. And so, in that sense, Jesus slept in death and he woke in that newness of life. James Johnson puts it like this, God saved David, his anointed one, from physical death. And God saved Jesus, his great anointed, through physical death. So as you think about God's great deliverance, remember that this psalm is ultimately about Jesus and the journey that Jesus goes on as he is rescued from death by the Lord. But then, the second key thing we need to see as we trust in God's great deliverance is there is a connection between the people and the king. Psalm ends in a curious way in verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance... May your blessing be on your people. Now, now to this point, David has been speaking about himself, hasn't he? But then suddenly he starts talking about the people. Why does he do that? Well, he does that because of this principle, that as it goes with the king, so it will also go with the people. That the people are blessed by the king's deliverance. And the future of the people and the future of the king are interlinked. And that was true for Israel, and it's true for us. Because as Christ went through Psalm 3, and as he knew rescue from death, our confidence is that his rescue is our rescue too. 
Just as God raised him from the grave, so he will raise us. And that is our great hope. That is the great deliverance we look forward to as God's people. And so we might find ourselves hard-pressed in this life. We might know the sadness of friends and family turning against us. Some of our worst dreams might come true. But the promise of the gospel is this, that if even those things do happen, when you lie down and sleep for the last time, you will awake because God will sustain you. And when you awake, you will not find yourself in a world where trials and troubles surround you. You will never need to cry out to God for deliverance because you will have been delivered. And friends, that is the softest pillow in all the world. So as we sleep, as we seek to rest in our God, let's remember the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So let us fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come with great thankfulness for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we look to him as our great king. Our great king who went through all that's described in this psalm. And he slept and woke. He had newness of resurrection life because you delivered him. And we thank you for that principle that as it goes with the king, so it goes with the people. Lord, we pray that you would help us to look to that great deliverance. And Lord, as we live in a world now which is full of sadness and sorrow, we pray that you would help us by your spirit and according to your grace to follow the thread of this psalm, to confidently come before you bringing our troubles to you, knowing that you hear us. To fill our minds with your character. And we thank you that your greatness is such that it will always fill our vision. And to counsel our hearts, to apply what we know about you to the circumstances of our struggles. Lord, you pray that in those dark nights, when sleep is hard, we would know the blessing of rest as you grant it according to your grace and as we put our trust in you. So we pray that you would seal your word to our hearts and we pray that you would use it for great good. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.